Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day everyone and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. Now of course this year, as we all know, has been a pretty rough one for investors. That combination of very high inflation, hawkish central banks, the surging US dollar war in Ukraine along with other geopolitical tensions and rising recession risks has all led to a combination of big losses on bonds and shares, particularly into their recent lows in October. From the top to the bottom, i.e. the top in share markets globally late last year, early this year, global and US shares fell about 25% and Australian shares to their lows in June fell about 16%. And fortunately, thanks to a combination of the somewhat less hawkish RBA and strong resource earnings, uh, the Australian share market has managed to hold above that low through October. So it never fell as much, down 16% versus 25% for global shares. Now, of course, in the last little while, we've seen something of a rebound uh, from their recent lows to as I speak. Global share markets have had rallies of something like 10%, similar story in Australia. In fact, Australian share market is only down just a little bit in total return terms from where it was at the start of the year. Now, of course, shares may have run a bit ahead of themselves, as they often do in the near term, but the big question is whether the rebound is sustainable. Have we seen the bottom or not? Of course, no one will never know with certainty until we see at least a continuation of this rebound. But um, I think there is good reason to believe that this rally may have more legs. Now, of course, bear markets are known for having periodic spikes higher. As investors' short positions get squeezed, they have to close them out and that pushes share markets up. And that's often on the back of somewhat less bad news. In the tech wreck of GFC, for example, the US share market saw bear market rallies of up to 20% or more. So they're not particularly unusual to see these strong spikes higher than for the bear market to resume. And of course, since this bear market started last year, early this year, we've seen two bear market rallies into March and August that proved short-lived. So how do we know this one is not going to be any different? And certainly it could. But there are some fundamental improvements that are just worth noting. And I think they have a good chance of making this rally Um, a bit more sustainable. Firstly, it's been a long time coming, but underlying inflation in the US is finally showing signs of easing. Now, at a headline level, the US CPI peaked back in June at 9.1%. It's now fallen to 7.7% with the latest start at 2 October. But more importantly, core inflation came in quite a bit softer than expected and on an annual basis is slow from 6.6% to 6.3%. And of course, that is still pretty high, but it's at the margin where you notice the changes. Prices for used cars, household furnishings, medical care and airfares fell in the month of October. Now, goods price inflation, which was pushing up to around 13 14% a little while back, has slowed quite decisively down to around 10%. And historically, uh, goods price inflation at major cyclical turning points has tended to lead services inflation, which is still trending higher. What's more, and this I think is particularly important, the proportion of CPI components in the US with annualised inflation above 3%. So I'm talking about the monthly rate when you annualise that. What proportion is above 3%? It's fallen to 57%. Just a few months ago, that was up around 80%. So we've seen quite an improvement there. 
in terms of the breadth of inflationary pressures in the US starting to roll over. Now, of course, this is all consistent with falls in our pipeline inflation indicator. For some time, we've been using this. If you read any of my notes, you'll see it. And and notes by some of my colleagues, uh, it rolled over some time ago. It suggested, I think it was right in suggesting inflation would go to 7%, then it started to roll over. And there's a bunch of factors driving that rollover. We've seen an easing in supply constraints, an easing in freight rates, the cost of shipping, uh, commodity prices are off their highs, cost pressures in business surveys, uh, whether that relates to services or goods, uh, have shown improvement. This indicator correlates, I think, pretty well with goods price inflation, which is already rolling over. But as I pointed out earlier, a cycle in goods price inflation tends to lead services inflation. So services inflation is likely to slow down as well. A year ago, you might have argued, well, global growth, US wages, rents, commodity prices, US public spending, anecdotes, car prices, low levels of inventories, money supply growth, freight rates, business surveys, they're all pointing up for US inflation. Now, if you run through all of those things, they're all showing signs of slowing or clearly pointing down. And in that, I include rents, where market rents in the US have well and truly slowed. And we know that that will show up in the CPI with a lag because the CPI includes a combination of market or current rents along with people on existing leases. They'll eventually roll over and pay higher amounts. Now, that is good news. And I think it does suggest there is a chance that as we go through next year, US inflation will surprise on the downside. In Australia, inflation is lagging the US by about six months. So we've got a fair way to go yet, but I reckon as we get into the early part of next year, it's gonna start rolling over and slowing down as well. So this is all good news. And ultimately, I think will help support share markets. Now, of course, related to this, central banks are slowing or moving to slow their rate hikes. Now this started with the RBA back in October, Rather than going by 0.5, they cut back to 0.25. Then we saw the Bank of Canada do something similar, although they still hike by 0.5, but they meet less than the RBA does. Uh, we've seen the ECB sounding a bit less hawkish. We've seen the Fed opening the door to a slowing down in their rate hikes with lower inflation numbers helping on that front. And the Bank of England pushing back against market expectations for how high it will raise rates. Now, of course, the common denominator in all of this is that rates have already been raised a lot. They're pushing back towards neutral territory. And of course, central banks need to allow for lags. Now, of course, central banks are still hawkish. In fact, we've heard messages from the Fed that they've got more work to do. And there's no surprise on that front. I think they probably do have more work to do. But the key is that the slowing in the pace of hikes is, I think, a precursor to an eventual peak in rate hikes. And more importantly, the slowing in the pace of rate hikes is reducing the risk of a hard landing, much like someone driving a bit slower down the freeway reduces the risk of a serious accident. So it is with rate hikes. Third point, US dollar and bond yields. Now, rising US dollar and rising bond yields were clear components of this bear market. Now, not only are we seeing some signs that shares may have bottomed, but we're also seeing signs that US dollar and bond yields may have peaked. If that's the case, it means a bunch of things. If the US dollar stops rising, it takes some of the pressure off emerging countries that might have US dollar denominated debt. It stops exporting US inflation globally and lower bond yields will ease the valuation pressure on shares. Now the point, we've now entered a positive period of the year from a seasonal perspective. Now the old saying was, sell in May, go away, come back on to Ledger's Day. And St. Ledger's Day has a UK horse race, I think in September. Now, often that's a little bit too early to get back into the markets, but October and November, often see markets bottom out and start to head higher as we go into the Christmas New Year period, and that continues usually out to May. Um, so seasonally, we're heading into a stronger period. Now, that 
there's been a lot of debate what drives this seasonal pattern in share markets. Some would say it's due to tax loss selling in the US, which pushes markets down into September, reflecting their tax year as investors sell losing stocks to reduce their capital gains tax bill. Then they have to buy back in again. Then we've got New Year cheer around the Christmas New Year period and a low level of capital raisings over the Christmas New Year period as well. So they help stabilise markets into October, at least from November onwards uh, into the early part of the new year. Another point is that we've just had the midterm election year. Election in the US, not quite the result the Republicans expected, but nevertheless, um, historically, the pattern has been that midterm election years, which of course is what we're in now, tend to be bad for shares with somewhat um, below average returns and significant drawdowns. In fact, the average drawdown in the US share market since 1950 has been 17% in midterm election years. And of course, we know what happened this year, top to bottom, at least as far as the year has gone so far, down 25% in the US um, back in 2018, rather. We saw a top to bottom fall of nearly 20%. Now, of course, the subsequent year has always tended to be positive. Go back to 1950, the average return one year out of midterm Drawdowns in share markets has been around 33%. And of course, also since 1950, the subsequent 12-month return after the midterm elections has always been positive. So that's a positive. Getting that midterm election out of the way is good news. Final point to note is that the mid in the US, in China rather, getting confused a little bit here, in China rather, we're seeing the Chinese government start to focus more on boosting its economy. Maybe that's because the party congress is over and therefore Xi Jinping is prepared to take a bit more risk. Chinese government has announced 20 measures to optimise its COVID policy, ranging from easing in controls to measures to step up medical pre preparations for some sort of reopening, including speed up in vaccinations. China is getting closer to its own mRNA vaccines and treatments and also hospital preparations. So those things are good news. And I think it's looking likely that China will exit zero COVID probably around March sometime next year. It's also announced 16 measures to support its ailing property sector. If you put those two things together, some easing in COVID restrictions, I'll bet there's a fair way to go yet on that front, um, but particularly an exit from zero COVID next year with more measures to boost the property sector, then it's quite possible that Chinese growth next year will surprise on the upside after surprising on the downside this year. So we put all those things together, ranging from signs that US inflation has peaked down to perhaps a bit more stimulus coming from China, I think there's a rising chance that we have seen the low in shares. Always hard to make those calls. But more importantly, we remain optimistic on shares on a 12-month horizon as investors will start to focus, I think, ultimately on monetary easing from late next year and then on economic recovery. So what are the main risks? I guess there's four main risks. Inflation could surge in you, resulting in more aggressive rate hikes. That's certainly the case. But if growth does slow down a bit, it normally takes pressure off inflation. We could slide into a recession although it is worth pointing out that the fall in share markets globally we've already seen may have already discounted that. And so providing it's only a mild recession, shares could still rally over the next 12 months. Geopolitics could worsen. Obviously, the issues regarding Ukraine and Russia are still there. Problems in the Middle East could escalate. China uh, could move on integrating Taiwan into the PRC. All those things could happen. Always very hard to predict geopolitical problems or at least their timing and get that stuff right. And some of those things could also go the other way. The final risk, I guess, is that assuming Republicans get decent control of the US House, and of course the midterm elections are still being counted as I speak, um, 
looks like their margin, if they do get one, will be fairly minor or modest, um, but it could lead to more brinkmanship, as we saw in 2011-2013, regarding funding the US government and avoiding government shutdowns and increasing its debt ceiling to avoid debt defaults. Now, as we saw in 2011 and 2013, when that happened on those occasions, we did see some volatility in share markets. So that could be another feature of the next year. So yeah, sure, there's risks out there. Someone might also say, well, what about the latest problems in crypto land? Various cryptocurrencies have fallen anew to new cycle lows on liquidity issues at FTX crypto exchange. And uh, I think the media has covered those things ad nauseum, but I would just point out that cryptos were a key beneficiary of easy money and the pandemic. With the pandemic easing or the lockdowns easing at least and reopening happening and the tightening of monetary policy, then cryptos and the whole space around that has been uh, vulnerable. Now, of course, I should point out that financial accidents are quite common outcomes of Fed tightening and the crypto problems could go further. But whilst I think that could be bad for crypto traders and investors, I don't think it's likely to have a major impact on the global economy or share markets as investor and financial system exposure to crypto and its associated investments is relatively low. Might be good news for gold though, because as crypto comes under pressure or remains under pressure and investors stay skeptical of it, um, it may see interest return to gold. So the concluding comment from all of this, in the short term, Yes, the ride for shares may still remain choppy, new lows can't be ruled out, but the increasing evidence of a peak in US inflation, central banks moving to slow their rate hikes, positive seasonality for share markets and the track record of US shares rallying after the midterms, along with uh, the potential for China starting to refocus more on boosting its economy, I think augur well for shares on a 12-month horizon. So I hope that's been of value. Until we meet again, adios. up to date with Dr. Oliver in the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favorite streaming platform. That way you'll never miss an episode. All topics discussed today are general in nature and haven't taken your personal circumstances into account. It's important you consider taking tailored financial advice that is relevant to your own situation before making any important financial decisions. 